The Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin. Investment professionals reveal their best mentors, how they find their next great idea, and a few funny stories. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. American Funds Distributors, Inc. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. Let's get to our guest, Joshua Crabb, head of Asia Pacific Equities at Robico. Joshua, these are really interesting times. We had the worst first half uh, since, I think, 1974. So we discounted a lot. I think everyone and her brother knows that the Fed still has work to do. Uh, and most of the commentators coming on are ultra-cautious, and, and they're almost scolding the market for rebounding a little here. But markets are forward-looking, maybe six to nine months, and apparently they see slightly better times ahead. Are they mistaken in your view? Oh, I think this is, uh, you know, this is a question that uh, is probably going to be uh, thrown uh, to and fro for some time over the <laughs> next few months. To be honest, uh, you know, again, you know, we have we have a sort of a debate about whether you know it's too hot in inflation, or whether we're going to slip back into some Goldilocks where the Fed starts tightening, or or we slip back into recession. And I think, you know, to be honest, I think it's be very difficult for everyone to know. I, d- I do. But think- what's the Joshua Crab view? Well, my view is that I think that, you know, that the focus is going to change from this, con- this uh, you know, uh, debate over peak inflation. Um, and I think that's where the focus has been. I think we're going to start hearing a lot more and a lot more thinking around where core is. Clearly, energy prices are going to come off at some point, and that is going to bring the headline down. But the question is, with, with the core sort of sitting at sort of north of 5%, and, you know, 10 years are sitting at 3 the real question is going to be where does that settle and where the right point is going to be. I think the most important thing for the markets, which I think is the question you're really asking me here, um, is going to be around is going to be around at the company level and earnings. You know, we've clearly seen, um, you know, in the uh, earnings so far out of the U.S. that sales have been okay, but some of the earnings have been a little bit lackluster. And I think this is the real question about what inflation means. Is it's the ability of companies to pass this on to the customers, uh, and it's the demand destruction that may go with that. And that's what we're going to really see over the next few quarters: mm-hmm. is can the consumers absorb this? And then the, the quid pro quo of that is if they can, how much of that is going to feed into wages? Um, you know, and, and that along with, with uh, rental prices is what's really that key question around uh, you know, core inflation. Yeah, rental prices hitting everyone. Uh, when we talk about the potential receding inflationary pressures, though, what about in terms of the pace of the dollar's gain? Do you think that might have peaked? Uh, I mean, for me, look, I think, you know, I, I'm an equities person, but clearly it's, ha- it's, had, a, it's had a very strong run uh, and bringing it back to this part of the world where we've seen things like the yen sell off very, very aggressively on the back of that. I think it will slow down. Uh, if we go back, you know, eight months ago when everyone thought there wasn't any inflation out there, uh, you know, everyone said it's going to be transitory, that, that mindset has clearly changed now. Those expectations have changed. Um, you know, the curve is going to, you know, I think the debate's going to continue. I think it probably had pulled back a little bit too far when everyone thought... Mm-hmm. 
first quarter we're going to start seeing rate cuts again um, and I think we, you know that's going to have to come back into sort of question. You told us uh, about a month ago that if you don't uh, get into these markets you could be a little too late because markets are preemptive. Is that still your view? What kind of further upside could you see from some of these Chinese stocks that have been battered over the past six weeks? Yeah, I think there's always you know two two things to consider when you're trying to make money, uh, and the first one is the valuation starting point. Now, you know, clearly the Chinese markets have got down to valuations we haven't seen for a very, very long time. And in that sits the opportunity. Um, now, you know, I think we saw the low in, in, in the offshore market sort of in March this year. Uh, and we've sort of been bouncing around, you know, post a rebound around that sort of little, little bit above that level since. Now, you know, clearly we haven't seen, you know, stimulus. We haven't seen dramatic moves in the real estate market in China. And as a result, we haven't seen sort of like, you know, a, you know like a, a strong rebound at this point. Point. Um, you know, my, my view is still the same. I think you know it is a very, very cheap market. There is a lot of value there. Um, you know, having having some of the right exposures, uh, you know, in that market, uh, you know, if you're patient, will 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 reward you uh, at a certain point. But I think you know, again, you do need to have some uh, patience, and that's why you know, I guess you know, the other side of this is trying to find markets where you think they you know, are not sort of uh, reliant on that, and that's why we quite like the ASEAN markets. Policy has not been your friend in China for about the past 18 months. Uh, and it was, it's been tempting over the past couple of weeks to, to start to think that we've moved beyond that uh, other than COVID policy. But it seems like uh, some of the policy adjustments on, on tech and in some other areas uh, have cooled off. But, but now we see the PBOC is looking to drain liquidity uh, just because of a slightly higher inflation reading. Um, are you comfortable with policy coming out of China in order to deploy money there. I mean, again, I come back to the point. I mean, you can sort of focus on what's happening at, at, at the margin. But, you know, I come back to, you know, fairly simple things. Po- politicians in most parts of the world, are, you know, are, are sort of held to account by the general living standards, right? So if you have policies that are tight mm-hmm. for too long, um, you know, then, then you know, like people mm-hmm. tend to get a little bit, uh, you know, upset. And then you tend to have some loosening at some point. Um, and I think that, Look, clearly inflation is an issue around around the world, and we've seen how far you know, like it took the Fed and some of the moves it took them to to presumably get ahead of the curve or uh, in line with that. And I think you know what you're seeing from the PBOC is saying, look, we don't want to be in a similar situation, um, so we're going to try and you know manage that a little bit earlier. So yeah, it, it, it's a headwind. Um, but again, uh, you know, the point I would make is when you do see noise around this, you don't see the lurch down in markets because that valuation support is already in. Mm. Let's go back to your call on ASEAN. You say Indonesia, Vietnam. I was in Vietnam on the weekend. I was in Indonesia about a month ago. I know you and Brian don't want to hear that because you're still stuck with those border policies in Hong Kong. But I mean, these are two nations that you wouldn't even know the pandemic had occurred. So is this all on the reopening theme? Yeah, look, I mean, I think it's it's a little bit bigger picture than that. If, if we sort of go back a few years ago, you know, because of, you know, increasing wage costs in places like China, people were looking to develop their supply chains in, in, in other countries. You know, in Vietnam and Indonesia were good sort of, you know, examples of that. COVID comes along, all that investment starts, stops, basically. You know, a lot of these people basically lose their jobs, the consumption falls off, off the face of the earth, and everything just goes into a stall. We will roll forward a few years and what's happened is, you know, all that investment that people wanted to put in, now people are trying to front load and get that back in there. Secondly, because of, uh, you know, the geopolitics, supply chain disruptions, etc., people want to do even more of that. So then when we consider what's happening there is that money is going on the ground. These are people who get it. They get their jobs. You know, they consume immediately. They don't save it like we see in the Western world. And, and that you see a big consumption boom on the back of it. So we think that's, you know, it's, it's a great long-term structural story. What's your number one call at the moment? 
Um, you know, again, it's one of those sort of uh, you know sort of difficult ones at the moment because I think things like you know, Indonesia and Vietnam have actually done very well um, in recent times, and that's why I think you always have to be you know a little bit sort of you know mind, mindful around you know when you when you take sort of advantage of these things. But again, look, I still think they're great structural stories. We spoke a little bit earlier about sort of you know China being an opportunity, and the other one that you know that we quite like actually is some of the industrial companies in in Japan. Um, mm. You know, like this is an area where this, the weak yen is, is, is a good tailwind for for some of those companies. Joshua, always great to have your insights. Thank you. Happy Friday. Joshua Crabb, Head of Asia Pacific Equities at Rebecco in our Hong Kong studio for us here. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF.